He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Lexington, Kentucky, here's Bruno DiGiulio. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. This is Bruno DiGiulio, Racing with Bruno, and welcome to our Thanksgiving week podcast. And of course, I got to bring in my turkey my right hand yeah my turkey no my right hand man my right hand turkey ron flatter what's happening turkey as the late john mclaughlin used to say at the end of his show every thanksgiving week gobble gobble oh god (laughs) you had to go down that route didn't you (laughs) You that could be a whole other podcast yeah yeah can we say cheesy boys and girls? Uh, I uh, saw a uh, really interesting um, old video yeah. of Mr. Rogers in Congress uh, basically trying to get funding for his programs. I remember. And, and it was. Just phenomenal to watch. Yeah, watching him in that committee room trying to... That was the children's television workshop, perhaps, that he was trying to continue funding? Yes, and he basically talked the senator that was uh, overseeing the the entire thing was just just phenomenal. I I want to see the movie with Tom Hanks. I'd really be interested in that. No, However, I've seen it. I, I've seen it. It's a very good movie. It's a very yeah, good movie. I, I would recommend. I need to see that. Um, life is good, my friend. Hmm. Interesting. You should use those words. Yeah, I, you know, and seeing a lot of, uh, you know, people are already, you know, counting their chickens before they're hatched. You're talking, you know, you are talking about the horse. I thought you were just saying in general, life is good. I was I, going to. I just, I, I just find it uniquely amusing how you have to have an immediate opinion and not only to state the obvious, but to take it a step further yeah. like your life depends on it <laughs> just yes. it, i mean what is wrong with people today <laughs> you have to go say oh he's gonna win the derby in november of his two-year-old season yeah. and what is it good for you you're not betting on it or maybe if you are mm-hmm. you're you know you're not gonna get that great of odds everybody else and their and their mother are yeah. gonna bet it eight to one yeah. here in Las Vegas Bruno eight to one on a horse five and a half months before the Derby they they aren't even growing the roses yet that they're running for mm, well let, let's tell people a little bit about it all right life is good broke is made this past weekend at Del Mar uh, on 11 on November 22nd Uh, we had just FYI life is good Mm -hmm. is a into mischief out of a distorted humor mayor named beach walk Uh, we had three straight four-star works on the horse 
between uh, October 26th and November 9th. Obviously, the horse is very fast. I kept looking at this mare, Beachwalk. I said, I know her. I know her. I think I remember this mare. So I went and did a little work, Ron. Mm -hmm. And back in October 2015, at Keeneland, I had a 45 and change uh, on a Catalano distorted humor filly on the smaller side, but she was a very fast filly. Ben Glass had bought her for Gary and Mary West for 435000 Beach Walk was, uh, was uh, out of Bonnie Blue Flag. And Bonnie Blue Flag was a, a pretty decent horse that won three of 12, in, including the, uh, it ran second in the test. She only won one dirt sprint in her career in four starts. And she ran second in the test. And she ran third in the Prioress. So she had some class. She was a half to highest honors. The tappet of Chad Brown, that was a um, stakes winner. He, he had won the, <laughs> funny that we, Larry Colmus brought up Curlin because his, Highest honors won the curling stakes at Saratoga, his only stakes win. Yeah, let, me put, that, let me put that into some context. If you didn't see, Larry Colmus tweeted that this was the most impressive debut he had seen since curling. So Bonnie Blue Flag was also a half to Diamondrella. And I want to say that Diamondrella was a, um, a Michael Ivarone horse, if I'm not mistaken. Let me pulled that up uh but and she won eight uh actually she wasn't she was the jimmy corrigan and uh sf racing llc um and she won eight hundred thousand, including uh, all of them on the turf including the first lady oh, actually that was on the synthetic uh the first lady stakes at uh, keeneland uh she won the just a game she won the giants causeway listed she won the extra heat. Um, she won a lot. She won eight races and $800,000. So she was talented. That is a half sister to Bonnie Blue Flag, the mayor of Beachwalk. Now, Beachwalk debuted on October 18, 2015. And I remember that horse had a 45 and change before the debut at Keeneland. Was three to one, showed speed and stopped. Only ran five times, ran a few, uh, I believe she ran a couple of seconds. Uh, and, but she was a six furlong sprinter. Period. End of story. Um, a lot of distorted humors don't no longer really stretch out nowadays. I, I don't, I don't know why, because earlier in his career as a stud, they did, especially going long on the grass. But, um, Bonnie Blue Flag ran second one time at Churchill Downs on 11-21-2015. That race was at six and a half furlongs. Um, got beat by three quarters. She was heavy favorite. And after that, she ran three, uh, uh, let me see. Let me see, make sure I'm telling you the right information. Mm -hmm. Um, she ran three other times. And her last two starts at Oakland Park, she ran third. 
Um, I remember her as being very fast. But I, if I remember correctly, Catalano couldn't keep her sound. So that's a little background on Life is Good. And you have to... I really believe that when you're looking at these horses, I, you have to get some kind of context on who they are. Well, that's my point on these things, where people go gaga the moment a debut winner shows any kind of distance between his particular finish and that of the rivals behind him. Nine and a half lengths. So, okay, well, tell me about the horses behind him first. That's the first thing. Well, I, I can tell you, watching the replay, he's impressive. He's fast. But my question is, you know, he's going to be a heavy favorite. In, and I think this week you can actually – is he on the Kentucky Derby feature wager? If you see, yeah, he's feature in, yeah, he's in the future wager. And, uh, I look, they're – on a morning line for him of 15 to 1. You're not getting 15 to 1 on him. No, he's going to be 6. Guaranteed. Yeah, and look, all other three-year-old males will be the favorite. That, that's always the way it works in the first pool. Essential quality is the 10 to 1 morning line favorite in the pool. And let me go backpedal because I did misstate something. You wanted to get facts straight? Let me get a fact straight. It's essential quality that is 8 to 1 in Derby Futures here in Las Vegas. Again, I'm not touching a horse at 8-1 to one this soon. 12-1 to one is the price on life is good. Still a crazy short price for a horse that won a sprint his first time out. So let me at least get that correct for you. You know, this is something we're going to touch up in our Zoom classes. There is no value on going out on a limb and just because you want to be the first one to say it <laughs> right. and have bragging rights. Yeah. You don't get paid for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you want to bet them? You want to bet them? You want to bet them in the future book? Go right ahead, you know? Sh yeah, shut your Whatever mouth because the more, the more you run your mouth, the shorter the price gets. <laughs> well, you know, not even that because, no. See, that's another thing we can talk about. When people talk about, oh, well, we can't, we can't do this. You know, we can't, you know, we can't be talking about it. You know, we can't, you know, say anything. People are listening. They're going to bet it. When do ever people listen to anybody well, else? True. True. They don't. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, yeah. how many times, you know, have you had a buddy of yours say to you, you know, oh, yeah, he ran over to the thing because you liked that horse that went over to bet it. Yeah, but if I say you liked you. it, if I say you liked it, Bruno, that's a whole different matter. Yeah, I don't. I still don't believe that. If you're buying the product, then yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think I think a lot of guys they they have a they have a way of just deflecting what people say. People, I I think handicappers sometimes are their own worst enemies because if 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 somebody would say, well, Bruno really likes that horse. The first, the first thing most handicappers do is say, ah, he's a clocker. Ah, he's this. Ah, he's that. And they come up with some stupid-ass excuse yeah. because they know better. Of course. Oh, However, of course the, 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 the real question should be, why does he like him? What makes him think that 
See, I think that's a rational, sane response that is without any kind of ego getting in the middle of the whole conversation. The biggest problem handicappers have is their ego is completely out of whack for absolutely no reason at all. Yeah. When I hear somebody say, I like this horse, I kind of look at them and I kind of try to figure where they're getting it from. Are they getting it from somebody else? Are they, did they see something? Um, for example, there was a really good friend, a really good acquaintance at the track named Lloyd. And when Lloyd used to walk up to me, he'd be shaking his head like no and saying, I really love this horse. So I learned that if that Lloyd had absolutely no confidence in his selections, but the way he approached himself when he talked about it, you're kind of reading the individual rather than the words that are coming out of their mouth. Hmm. And if you can picture it out there and you're in, you know, just close your eyes and picture it. Picture myself, Ron Flatter, walking up to you, shaking our head like I got no shot in the world, and then telling you who we like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well played, Mr. DiGiulio. Well played. <laughs> and it's just, to me, you know, and this comes from a little bit from watching people when I was working on the cover way back in my 20s and early 30s is understanding people as you approach them because you had few seconds to not uh, the, the word is not shake down the, to to analyze size an them individual. up because you want to you want to in your mind you're going how do I approach this do I do it the cool way or do you am I going to have to take this guy down because he's going to be combative and I learned very quickly that you treat people with respect, and 99.9% .9 of the time, they'll treat you, treat you with respect back. And until lately, where there's a whole brand new type of disrespect going on, which is on, on social media and, and another group. But... I, I really believe that if you treat people with respect, they give you respect back. But also, they can telegraph to you what their, their mindset is. And if a guy's shaking his head no, telling you something, that means I ain't got a sh shot in the world to get anything right. Hmm. In, on, the other, on the same token, though, let me give you the other side of this, too, because there is the building of a case and there's the deconstruction of a case. And whenever I see all the hype about a horse right away, that may look good to me, but still, I hear all the hype and I see all the hype. I run the other way. So now let me ask you this. Am I wrong to start to deconstruct a horse? When I say, say that in the case of life is good, I go, well, wait a minute. The sire and the damn sire... They were sprinters. I look at this race and say, what was behind him? I look at a Brisnet rating of 100. I look at a buyer speed figure of only 90. Where am I wrong in all this, Bruno? That was 
you're, you're wrong in the last two statements you made. About, about, about the, the numbers? numbers. About, the, about numbers? the numbers. Yeah. You don't have to be a fucking genius, pardon my French, to look at that effort and know that horse can run. You don't need a number. If you need a number, and this is not directed at you, this is a general question. No, I mean, it may be. I looked no, at no, the no, 90, no, no. Bruno, as a, decon as, a, as a point of deconstruct. Well, don't. Because if you need to, if you watch that effort and your brain says, wow, that was a really good effort, that horse can really run. And then you say, oh, you only got a 90. Ah, no, it's his first start. It's the first time he ever did anything. He's geared down. No, don't look at the number. Because your eyes are already telling you what you need to know. And this is another reason. This is reason number 347 that handicappers, some handicappers completely miss, miss the boat when it comes down analyzing races visually. Mm -hmm. Because their brain says, oh, that was really good. And then they're looking for a number to validate. Mm -hmm. If the number doesn't agree with what they thought they saw, they're going to go towards the number rather than what their visual was. But is it just as wrong for me to say I'm looking to deconstruct the horse and then use the number to rationalize it? Yes. Okay. Because, because what you're doing is you're making an opinion about a horse and then you're trying to find a case to, to, to back it up. Got it. Don't do that. That is, the, that is the number one way of completely destroying your, your ability to analytically um, address horses. You need to make a case for the horse and then like it. Okay. That makes sense? Yeah, no, it, does. I mean, it totally that, does. I mean, it totally I mean, does. Uh, uh, let's, let's, uh, look, at, look at some of the examples that we've had in this country lately. You go to court and you really don't have a case. And you're hoping that case can be made once you get in the court. That's not how it works. <laughs> it works. You have to have a case and you have to have your facts to make the, cash, the, the case stick in a court of law. And this just goes for anything. I think Joe chewed up his, his you know, chewed my, uh, chewed one of my gloves up. Mm -hmm. Do I have proof? No. Joe looks at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. Do I have a glove that's chewed up? No. I can't find it. You know? If I go in a court of law and say, Joe chewed up my glove, well, where's the proof? Well, I don't have the proof. Well, how do you know he did it? Did you see it? No. I'm sorry. Case dismissed, Mr. DiGiulio. Joe, you're free to go. You know, Joe walks away kind of smiling. I mean, like, yeah, I did it. But, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but the problem is you don't have the facts to back it up. Right. When you're looking at, I hear a lot of guys do this. They want to, they want to like a horse, and then they go looking for ways to like the horse. That's insanity. You've got to make the case for the horse, and then decide whether you need to follow that horse.
We are so backwards in this country now, or in, 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 in society, on how we analyze things. I mean, well, what about the narrative thing? What about, hey, I'm going to decide, this is my narrative. Well, let me go find the, the, the facts to back up my narrative. Right. Right. Come, well, to, come, your, make the, come no. to the conclusion before you have made the case, right? Right. So when you're making a case about life is good, and you made a couple of interesting points. Visually, he's very impressive. When you're, when you're handicapping, what an impressive performance. Don't even bother with the time, with, with the numbers. Because the number is strictly on a man-made scale to visualize numerically what you just saw. How much more of an advantage you, Ron Flatter, as a handicapper, would have if you were to be able to quantify a performance before anybody even looked at a number. Hmm. I see where or, you're going. Or yeah. the ability of saying, I really like that horse. What I think that horse can really run. And, you know, I do that. Every, I mean, that is my life. That's what I do with horses in the morning. If I it's may, all, may I, may I then segue into the, Sales pitch guy, in one sense, that's also what you demonstrate on the Zoom classes, one of which you'll be holding the night we're posting this podcast on Tuesday night. You impart that knowledge by using visual tools to show and teach what we should be watching for. You have heard me say it over and over again. You know, when I get guys that say, oh, I get your stuff and, and it validates my picks, and my head wants to spin around. Because what you do is you handicap, but then you want to look and see if you don't have a couple of horses or what do I have compared to yours. It's not about validation. It's about seeing what you're missing. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's the... I was just going to go there. Because the validation... Again, oh, see, I'm right. You don't see the same thing I see. I've had argues. I have a guys arguing me with that. Oh, I see the same Sam Pass performance as you do. Okay. You see him in the morning, too, where I get most of my opinions from, or where a horse moves, or I watch him in the races and what he does? No. Then how can you say that you look at horse, that, that you want to validate your picks with mine. We're coming from totally different. Let me put it this way, Ron, and please don't take offense, but if I think I have an inside track on a horse and somebody calls me and says, hey, I love this horse, I'm off. Interesting. Because he's obvious. It's interesting to me because that's almost the same tactic I'm using to try to deconstruct a horse. If somebody is so gaga about it, the, and I but wonder yeah, okay, who are okay. they, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, but that's a different whole scenario. 
I had a guy call me a couple months ago during the summer. I had another handicapper call me. And it was the day of the, I want to say Saratoga Special. I think. It was the race that Jackie's Warrior uh, beat Casadero. Oh, I got that right here. That would have been, uh, looking right here, uh, da, 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 Saratoga Special. And he says, there's all these guys on Twitter that absolutely love Jackie's Warrior and they hated Casadero. And I want to go bet on Casadero, you know, just because these guys don't know what they're looking at. And I wanted to ask you what you thought. I said, they're right. Jackie's Warrior is much better than Casadero. And I didn't like the way Casadero worked. And he was speechless. He didn't know what to say. His ego was so involved that with the personalities that were touting the horse, that it blinded his ability to make a rational decision. Hmm. So what you're doing is your own and I'm going to call it ego. Oh, says, no question. No question. Says, oh, this, um, you know, all these people are saying about this source, you know, I'm going to prove them wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're a thousand why, percent right. Why? Why? Those are the same people that are going to pick 50 horses between now and, and Kentucky Derby Day. Yeah. Yeah. They do the shutdown approach and they say, oh, I said this 10 years ago. Somebody will win the Kentucky Jockey Club by eight lengths and then that'll be the horse. And that, that'll be on their list. And then, then next week it's another horse. And it's then the another next horse. week it's yeah, another is, horse. Yeah, exactly. Oh, did you see that? Yeah, you know, yeah. while well, I am looking at horses that are running second and third because they don't have to win for me for me to be excited about who they are. You know, so, I researched, by the way, on that point where people will dive in and say, well, the horse is undefeated. Did you know, Bruno DiGiulio, that nine of the last 12 Kentucky Derby winners had a loss in their two-year-old season and one other one, Justify, didn't race at all? And it might end up that Justify might get that loss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So, that's true. Well, no, because he didn't race as a two-year-old. Right, but... Um, yeah, but how many two-year-olds actually, that horses that didn't run as a two-year-old, you know, actually ever won the Derby? Well, two. Right. And over Apollo what, 100 years? Apollo over 100 years? Yeah. yeah. Apollo was a god, so, I mean, you know. Oh, no, the horse, you mean. No, I'm talking uh, about the spaceship. Yes, of course it was. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, the whole, the whole thing is, is that, uh, you know, if, when handicappers get let their egos get in the way, nothing good comes out of it. And by the way, Jackie's warrior destroyed Casadero, and Casadero came out of that race with a hip with a pelvis problem, right. uh, fractured pelvis, and he looked didn't look good working. He didn't. Those people were right, but when you allow your ego to get in the way, it becomes a situation that. 
you're going to lose because you're not using you're not using your uh, you're not using your skills as a handicapper you you're just you're just looking at things to try to prove people wrong mm -hmm. that's not how you make money so okay. what you should do is don't worry about the numbers and see what life is good does coming up in the next start right he is an intimation uh he's going to be fast he's going to be precocious like authentic was um and we'll just have to see how he develops mm -hmm. on the on 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 the flip side i'm telling you his mare was not a horse that wanted to stretch out his mare was not a you know a horse that stayed sound very long only had five starts his mare was freaky fast short so this does not surprise me that he did that and sometimes you have to do that you have to get into a horse's uh pedigree and you have to go through your own checklist so to speak before you make a decision okay in fact you asked me before the show about it yeah and oh, i, I did. said and what was kind of my response i need to check all make sure all the boxes are checked but then again i will not sit there and say in november december january february and march oh that horse is going to win the derby yeah no i i wouldn't have said that about secretariat in november of 72. no shot i mean come on it's too well early. it's too much racing but again, to go on. yeah and 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 the biggest thing is you know you're pointing yourself into a corner you mm -hmm. know you're putting yourself in 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 a position that and you know the more opinions you have by the time you get to that point you basically sit there and say well i like this horse too <laughs> i like that horse too you know it's like keeping track of all your lies right <laughs> yeah. can i ask you about yeah. one other horse and and, and, yeah. and make sure you you know not only your lies but your die yeah yeah let me ask you about one other horse. The, the Derby Future Wager starts Thursday at noon Eastern and will run until Sunday at 6 Eastern. It's the Paramutual, so the prices are obviously not generally going to carry the value that they will here in Las Vegas, but you might find a diamond in the rough. And let me ask you about one that's not available in Las Vegas. They named 22 horses, plus they have an entry for all of their fillies, or all fillies, I should say. And then they all other three-year-old males, which generally is the favorite. But here's one that's not available in Las Vegas. Fire at will. He won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. Uh, he has raced once on dirt. It was actually in the slop when a race was taken off the turf at Saratoga, and he won that one. Mike Maker horse by declaration of war out of a kitten's joy mare. And 30 to 1 morning line. Do you touch a horse? for a trainer that's never won the Derby on a surface that's not his pet surface at this point? Well, he's a full brother to decorated invader. And there was some talk about trying him on the dirt. Um, decorated invader trained super on the dirt, so did Fire at Will. Um, you never say never until they get on there. So um, it has to be a pretty enticing price. He does have speed. And he, oh, actually, by the way, Fire at Will did win on the dirt. 
Yes, he did. He it was, on it was the swap. He right, on the it was, swap. It was yeah. taken off the turf, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right. I, yeah, I mean, that's a horse to look at. Absolutely. I bet you, you know, Bruno, I'll bet other than, you know, for whatever you look at, somebody may put him up here in Las Vegas here in the next week or two. But I bet even in this paramutual pool, you can get a decent price. You get him maybe at 60 well, or 70. Throw, throw me a couple of horses. Let me throw you a couple of horses. How about Dr. Scheivel, who's switched trainers and won't be seen again until this winter. He had been racing until now for Luis Mendez. He goes to Mark right, Glass. Yeah, yeah, won the Del Mar Futura. Well, let, let me give you the insight on that. That's John Brocklebank behind it, formerly BC3 way back when uh, Luis Mendez was his trainer. Uh, Bill Branch, uh, who actually... Um, uh, Bill Branch actually started as one of my partners in Captain Steel way back in 2007. And so I am sort of responsible for getting Bill Branch in the game, um, along with his partner, Arnold Hill. And, and, and I, I talked to, to, to John Brocklebank, who basically got that horse ready for, for Bill. Um, you know, going into the, the Delmar Futurity, and they loved him. Uh, he, he's an interesting horse. Um, uh, going to Mark Glad is sort of a uh, bilateral move because basically Bill has most of his horses with Mark Glad. Oh, okay. All right. Let me throw at you, and this is something I want you to revisit with me from last year, and I'll remind you as we get into the discussion but highly motivated, who won the Nyquist at Keeneland during Breeders' Cup weekend for Chad Brown, another into mischief, showing up at 15 to 1 in the morning line for the Kentucky Derby future wager. Here in Las Vegas, you can get him at 30 to 1. He's a big, heavy type. I don't see him going that long. I just don't. It's just too big and heavy. And big, heavy horses like that don't usually stretch out. And, and to be honest, um, for the quality of horses that the barn has had, they've had a hard time getting there. And that was the point you made to me last winter. That was what I was waiting for you to say. Because I'll, I'll never forget this. I, you, I had you on my podcast. And I said, well, I threw a couple shekels at Toledo. And you said, you should pay us all for doing that. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> that thing was a Shetland pony. I cannot believe when I watched him train and I, and he was working with a horse um, that was a sprinter. That was uh, a basic, basic, uh, out, basic something. Um, and he's a Shetland pony, a little bitty thing. And I was like, no. Oh, yeah. Like the other one they were all over was Telephone Talker. He's a decent horse. You know, and he's turning out to be okay now. But it just, Chad Brown is too good of a trainer not to have two horses, you know, in every derby. And for the life of me, I don't understand why he doesn't. And let me give you another Baffert. And that's Saville Row won his debut at Del Mar early this month by a length and a quarter. Did it in style from a little off the pace is by quality road out of a Malibu moon mare, 20 to one on the Kentucky Derby future wager morning line. 
here in Las Vegas. You can get him at 85 to 1. You know, remember when APN gave a Bruce the foot? Yes. And, yes. And he was knocked out of the Derby. Mm -hmm. The late Larry Bordstein asked in the, in the middle of the. Uh, of the press conference, asked Neil Drysdale which foot it was, and Neil Drysdale said, "said, kind of snarky, just pick one, <laughs> right?" And with all the Baffert horses that are going to be breaking maidens as two-year-olds, just pick one, because he's going to have a zillion of them. They're going to break their maidens, and and everybody, ooh, you know. Just because he's got a Bob Baffert name next to it. If it was a Mark Glatt or a Luis Mendez or whoever is somebody else, it would just go right, right down the river for people. So I, unless that horse comes back and does something else that makes you pick up your head, then, then you go there. But when they break their maiden, just pick one, Okay, you know? And let me give you one more. He has won a derby, uh, did so by DQ with Country House. Bill Mott has a Godolphin Street Sense cult by the name of Speaker's Corner out of a Bernardini mare. I won, know that horse. Okay, broke his maiden on his second try. Here's what, now tell me that I'm looking in the wrong place here because I, I, I look, if you need to dissuade me, dissuade me. I see... A, uh, it's a homebred, a Godolphin homebred, uh, not a big price. Well, seventy-five thousand uh, dollars. I'm not wowed by that. I look a little at that, but tell okay. me okay. why okay. I should. Right now, right now, right now. Quit mm -hmm. looking at those goddamn prices. Okay. <laughs> quit. All right. Because they come from any shapes and size. All right. Hey, look, why it was a sixteen thousand dollar, you know, yearling purchase. California Chrome was 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 just a little homebred out of a lucky uh, by lucky pulpit right. uh, stallion. Tis the law, just thirty-five stop, grand. Stop, I know, stop, I know. Stop, stop! Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Right. Don't do that. You know, you will be severely punished when you do that again. Okay. You know, we're gonna break you all, uh, break <laughs> handicappers of some of these bad habits. See, I'm representing the bad handicappers. I'm, re I'm representing They're every just bad, bad habits. They're bad habits. Right. Speaker's Corner was a horse that. Kind of, I kind of laugh at because there's one of the guys, the big guy on on the NYRA show, um, doesn't believe in workouts, and Speaker's Corner trained very fast, but he was an uncontrollable fast at Saratoga on the on the main track. And went into that race uh, in his debut as a short price and finished third, I believe. And Speaker's Corner, I, I had it listed down that he was really kind of uncontrollable mm. in his early, and you know, when he was working. I don't like that mindset. I, I, I you know, that's the mindset that I think, you know, um, you can hold against a horse because they're doing too much too soon or they haven't learned at a rate. Um, I did notice he did break his maiden, uh, but I need to see a complete turnaround from what I saw of him as a two-year-old 
at Saratoga for me to actually back him. Now, does he have the right pattern going in of having races under his belt at Saratoga and breaking his maiden at Belmont? Absolutely. Um, and there is context for that where the last Colt that won on the main track breaking his maiden at Saratoga was River Ridge in 1971. People okay. were screaming, Big Brown, Big Brown won it on the turf, going mm -hmm. long for Pat Reynolds, not on the main track. Okay. A Philly did it in 1987 named Winning Colors yeah. and went on to win the Derby in 88. But a Colt, it hasn't happened in 40, uh, 49 years. Hmm. So there is something to that. Speaker's Corner, by the way, 50 to 1 on the morning line for the KDFW and 100 to 1 here in Las Vegas at William Hill. I'm not a big fan of Bernardini. I think Bern a lot of Bernardinis end up having throat problems. A lot of Bernardinis are very um, uh, distance-challenged. Um, so I just look at it, and, and from what I remember, what I saw at Speaker's Corner, I had one strike against them. Okay. I can't change my mind. I, and that's something, another thing that handicappers don't do. They put something to their heads, and they just, they just don't let it go. Yeah. John Scheinman in Baltimore once said, be supple with your thinking. It's a good line. Scheinman's, yeah. Oh, no, I, that's typical Scheinman. You know, I know John, he's a nutball, but you got to <laughs> love the guy. I love him. He is, and I do. No question about it. Hey, um, Thanksgiving is also the day while we're carving turkey, we're trying to dive into the fairgrounds. Fairgrounds opens on Thursday. I imagine you have a couple of things up your sleeve for the fairgrounds, right? Absolutely. We've got full workout reports from there. Um, already started to work on the card. And you know what's interesting about fairgrounds? Two-year-olds can race on Lasix there. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Two-year-olds can race on Lasix. So, therefore, any horse that comes out of some races where they pop and stop and they get the first-time Lasix, this very, uh, could be a very profitable move. Okay, so that was not one of the tracks that weaned two-year-olds from Lasix. Uh, no, because maybe their meat goes all the way through 2021. So being that the meat goes all the way through, they, you know, I don't know if they can have different rules for the 2020 side than the 2021. Right. Okay. So, but I, I don't care what the rules are. I'm just going to use what it's there in front of me. That's okay. another thing about you know, you can't bitch and complain about something you have no control over. And one of them is that in this case, you use what's in front of you. If they're allowing LASIKs for two-year-olds, you figure a way how to, to monetize it for, for through your gambling. What did you Next, think last year at the fairgrounds when they in order to try to make it more fair for outside draws getting to the first turn, they lengthened all the preps 
for the Kentucky Derby by, I think, 110 yards. Well, I, I think it's a good. I think it's 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 a good thing because you give horses a chance to get over, and you don't you don't penalize horses that draw the outside. Um, however, however, um, those distances, if they're if they're pushing the the, the run-up, making a longer run-up, you have to really look at the times to make sure they're correct. And let me say this. I thought the fairgrounds meet last year had a lot of really good horses there. I thought it was a better meet with young horses than Gulfstream was. Wow. I'm, pl I'm planning to play, personally, I'm planning to play more money at the fairgrounds than I am at Gulfstream. How long has that been coming, Bruno? Has that been a gradual shift, or did it just happen last year? Last couple of years. Hmm. Okay. See, here's the thing. At Fairgrounds, we're the only ones putting out information. At Gulfstream, you got 90 clockers. Right. You know, they're all fighting the, the, the whatever information, you know, they're out there, and they're cannibalizing their own product. 90 clockers, so, but none of them seem to be at Payson Park. And it's a private property. Co-owned with Gulfstream. Well, yeah, I mean, at Palm Beach Downs with Pletcher. Um, I got in a whole thing with George Weaver when Pletcher first moved over there. Because Weaver didn't want anybody over there. And he told me, and, and for whatever reason, he singled me out. And I called him out on it. And he didn't even want to have, he didn't single me out singly, but he singled out. He did not want to have any, any clockers there. And he didn't even want to have official clockers. And it became a battle between him and Rippo to get an official clocker in. So that's when the DRF and Gulfstream Park hired Dave Norton to clock at Palm Meadows to put the times into the paper because I, but the week before all of that started, I had two weeks worth of works from Palm beach downs already that weren't even published <laughs> because the Palm beach down people were just, they didn't care. They don't even want to put the works down. And I talked to the lady and she was nasty, nasty. Boy, you must have some, some dark reasons why you want a clock here. <laughs> dark reasons. <laughs> you don't even put the works mm. down. Well, we're a private facility. You know, go to hell, lady. Oh, you know, where are you coming from? You know? I mean, and, and, and my point with that was, and then I had a talk with George. I said, George, why are you singling people out? He goes, well, you know, you know, clockers are, you know, they're all cheating anyway, and Right away, you know, that was one of the things. Second thing, he goes, he goes, it was, it, quote unquote, Weaver said, it was my own little heaven down here until Todd showed up. <laughs> so wow. in other words, he could do whatever he would do. You know, he could call the works in, not call the works in, you know, and do whatever he wanted. And then Todd showed up and kind of messed it up. So what was interesting is after everybody didn't want to have clockers there, 
Now they got a clocker that was working also for the daily racing form. And, you know, as far as for their workout report, and they had all the other clockers showing up there at the clock too. So, you know, do I trust all of that at Palm Beach Downs? Uh, I think Dave Norton does a good job, and I think he puts the, the I think he puts the right times down. But when you get a top Fletcher going forty nine, he probably went about fourteen and two for three quarters. Hmm. So you're getting you know the generic time, but they're doing a lot more. Understood. The old context of the workouts thing that you're always teaching us. I, it's it's amazing to me. You know, I mean, all these trainers, they all, they all, you know, tell you that time is only, you know, when you're in, means something when you're in jail. And, and on the other hand, they're fighting on, by, you know, to the, you know, they're fighting thick and thin to make sure that you, they get a 49 instead of a minute four and out in 13 and two. I've so, never understood that saying, by the way, Bruno. That whole thing about in racing time is only important if you're in jail. I, I've never because understood they're that. the ones who care about the time. Because, you know, I mean, here's the funniest thing. You get trainers, right, who will lie or flat out lie on a time, especially at these farms, right? Horse goes 104 and 4. You know, and they're telling people that's the fastest horse I've ever trained. They want to brag how fast the horse is, you know, but they don't want to tell you what he really went in. Uh, here's another one. Oh, yeah, you know, the horse worked 59 flat. Nobody caught it. The, the clockers missed it. Went 59 flat. It's because, so let me translate. The clockers missed it because you probably told them you weren't working. You probably didn't call up and say, hey, I had this horse go. Did you guys get it? So to me, it's there's so many lies. You know, trainers don't want to tell you the truth. So why don't they just tell you, well, time's only good with being in jail. Well, how did that horse work? Well, he went 59, but they gave him 48. You know, I mean, so it was a fast work. Am I, I don't know, am I making sense? Yes, totally. And this goes to the transparency of the information, which means, you know, what, what dark side are you coming from? You're from the dark side of the guy shining the light on everything. That's, this is what we're talking about. In England, Bruno, in England, they're fighting putting up fractions on races. There is a faction of people that do not want racing fractions published, and they feel that this thing that they call sectionals there, what we call fractionals, fractions, they call sectionals. And there's a, there is a wave of thinking there, old school thinking, that says, well, no one knows how to read fractions, so why should we publish them? This is coming from the same country that could never learn how to pronounce the words Barack and Obama. So you know where I feel on this. Well, you know, the one issue there you know, is that I, I think with the distances that they have and the layouts, the, the fractional, uh, the sectionals would be a lot, would be much more confusing 
Uh, oh, but okay, but Bruno, what if a horse ran three times over the same mile course at Ascot? You going to tell me those sectionals are going to be confusing? Well, I'm not saying that they would be confusing. I, I, I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> I got Joe on my lap. Buddy, what's going on? All of a sudden, you're in my lap. You want to be part of the show? Um, Ron, I don't know who this guy is that wants to tell us that, oh, I'm going to save you the time of analyzing this because no, it's you're going to understand it. It's more than one. Okay. Well, all of them. You know, hey, uh, hear me now and listen to me later. I think I'm smart enough to be able to figure out something. Don't have to tell me what I can't figure out and what I can, and you're protecting me. You just want to keep them for yourself. That's so. Yeah. So you know what? Take a long walk on a short pier. <laughs> they have those in England, by the way. Please, please. You know, they have those. I've got some concrete galoshes you can use. Um, but I hate people telling me that I'm not smart enough to be able to understand and grasp something. Yeah. You know, I find cool. I know. Yeah. You know. Hey, it's it's Tuesday when we're posting this. And Tuesday means another Racing with Bruno webinar and a Zoom class coming up. So if you're listening to this, before 7.30 Eastern on Tuesday. I know there's not a big window in there, but if you are, then what do we got coming up tonight? Well, I think we're going to, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, we're going to talk about some of the things we've talked about today and kind of illustrate them. Excellent. We'll look at some, you know, some replays. Maybe I'll have you toss me uh, some horses and we'll look at some replays and uh, on the future books and go from there. You can show me what I need to know about the right and the wrong in terms of my opinion about life is good. I, I, I just, you know, I want you to use your eyes more. And that's the perfect opportunity here. Yeah, I want you to visualize more rather than having to wait on what you're seeing on numbers. Because a lot of times I see big numbers and I look at the race and I go, no. No. I'm looking forward so. to it. I'm looking forward to it. And by the way, if you're listening after Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, these webinars happen all the time. So I want to be the proper salesman again, Mr. DiGiulio, and let's tell everyone how to find your product. Well, fantastic. You know, we can go to, uh, if you want to get some more information about the Zoom classes, you sign up for our newsletter. And you go to racingbruno.com, you Roll down to the bottom. There's a little form there. You just put your email, and you're automatically signed up. And I basically invite you through those newsletters. So you can do that. Um, also, you can go to racingbruno.com. We've got subscriptions. We've got uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on. You know, tomorrow we'll have Churchill, uh, Delta Downs. We had Delta Downs today. Um, you know, you got Tampa. You got Gulfstream Park West Final Week. Oh, by the way. Gulfstream Park West is closed. Yeah, isn't that something? The track that was born, what, in 71 as the result of a partner buying in on it who wanted to Bigfoot his own other track. He bought in, he already owned Tropical Park, bought into the newer place so he could close down Tropical Park, and now you got a partner coming in to use its other track to close down Calder. So, or, I'm sorry, Gulfstream Park West, forgive me. So there you go. 
Interesting well, history. You know, Mike, I, I had a chance to go and see Calder, you know, in its heyday. Um, and um, it was Breeders' Cup 1992 um, at Gulfstream Park. And they were running uh, Calder during the same time. And I got to go over there and play uh, ITW, Intertrack Wagering, right. and watch racing. Um, watch racing. Um, <laughs> Joe's getting a little upset. <laughs> He's feeling bad about Calder <laughs> yeah, closing down, yeah. too. No, he wants to go out and run He wants around. to jump in Lake Lucerne and take a dive. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, you know, I had a chance to see it. Point track. A lot of guys got a lot to start there. And um, it is what it is. Can I tell you two names that will resonate even after the place closes Saturday? Yes. Ed Eddie Castro, 15 years ago, set the record for wins in a day for a jockey with nine. And wow. a year after that... There was a horse sold there for $16 million. Still the that record. Was, yes, that was the Green Monkey. The you know Green the story Monkey. About the, you know what? The, people don't know the story of the Green Monkey. I want to hear this. Well, you know, he was he was an efficient mover by Forestry. Beautiful mover. One of the better moving horses I've ever seen. However, as a two-year-old, Hartley and Dorenzo were getting them ready. He flipped over backwards and broke his neck. That's why he didn't start until his three-year-old season. He had major issues with, uh, with just even moving uh, uh, the movement on his head. So in a lot of ways, a lot of people like to use him as a, as a, uh, a measuring cup to other horses. But they don't know that he broke his neck at the farm before he ever got a chance to start. Think about you, someone that's an excellent athlete, breaking their neck. There's no way that they're going to be the same player ever again. There you go. That's one thing about Calder that will resonate for a long time. I don't know that 16 million is going to be approached soon, although one day it will. But uh, at least that's one of the memories of Gulfstream Park West. So there you go. Well, as we say, <laughs> life is good. Hey, see you at the Zoom tonight. Get more from Bruno by going to racingwithbruno.com. This has been the Racing with Bruno podcast.